Have you ever found yourself in the situation when you have sought to do good and it all goes pear-shaped? Yeah? When, when you've tried to make things better and they only get worse? Yeah, I think uh, by the nods and the murmurs, I think everybody's been in that situation. Jim was a passionate evangelist. He was inspired from an early age by the examples of Christian missionaries and resolved to commit his life to evangelism and to mission work. He attended Wheaton College to study linguistics and then in 1952, he and a small group of missionaries travelled to Ecuador in the hope and expectation of working amongst the unreached tribal groups in the uh, jungle there. They established themselves in the, at the Shandia Mission Station and it was here that he married his fellow missionary Elizabeth and soon they had a baby daughter. After some years of preparation uh, and encouraging contact with the, uh, with the tribes, the men decided to go further into the jungle and establish a, uh, a base a short distance from one of the villages on the banks of the Kararay River. And there, while attempting to make contact with a group of Wadani warriors, they were speared to death, killed by the very people they came to save. That's not how that story should end, should it? At least, that's not how that story would end if I was writing it. What on earth is God doing? After all, Jim was doing God's work, wasn't he? He had heard God's call and he was going out to call people back to God. And yet even before it even had begun, it was snuffed out. Why? You see, that's the question that Moses is grappling with in this chapter. Did you see what he said at the end in verse 22? Why, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Is this why you sent me ever since I went to to Pharaoh to speak in your name? He has brought trouble on this people and you have not rescued your people at all. This is an incredible indictment, an astonishing indictment that Moses is throwing at God. But God's answer, as we will see in chapter 6, is truly amazing. So as we come to this passage, why don't we bow our heads and pray? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and for the freedom with which we can come and read your word. We pray, Lord, now that as we look at Exodus 5 and 6, that you would quieten our hearts and still our minds, take away the things that would uh, get in the way. And Lord, would you speak to us and help us to listen. And we ask this in Jesus' name. So we come to, one, to, we come to this passage, chapter 5, with great expectations, don't we? Israel has been enslaved, as, uh, as we've read, for almost 400 years by the time Moses was born, and their slavery would have continued had, Moses, had God not spoken to Moses from the midst of the burning bush, as we saw a couple of weeks ago. God revealed himself to Moses as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, and told him that he had come to set Israel free. And so he said, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people out. 
But we saw also that Moses wasn't particularly happy about that and he questioned God. And so God revealed to him his name, Yahweh. And he promised that he would be with him and that they would leave Egypt as victors, plunderers, plundering the wealth of Egypt, and that he would lead them into a land flowing with milk and honey. And so Moses, convinced by what God has said, sets out to Egypt to talk to Pharaoh. So I want you to put yourself in Moses' shoes, standing in front of Pharaoh. How do you think he would have felt? What do you think he was expecting to happen? Well, I don't know about you, but having looked at what God said to Moses, having looked at what God showed Moses and all the things that he promised he would do, I think his expectations would be pretty high that things were going to work out well. After all, God had given him his name and promised to be with him. What could possibly go wrong? expectations do you have of being a Christian, a follower of Jesus? Do you think that uh, having given yourself to Jesus, life should be better, should have good health and prosperity? I mean, there's churches out there that teach that. Or, Or do you expect that as a Christian that you will find your perfect partner or have a better, happier marriage or that your children will always turn out to follow Jesus. Or or maybe you believe that if you do the right things, God will bless you, or even worse, if you do wrong, God will punish you. I struggled with that as a young Christian. You see, we all have expectations, don't we? We all have expectations of God. But are they grounded in a right understanding of who he is and what he is doing? Because, you see, if they aren't, then sooner or later God is going to do something that we're not expecting. And that's exactly what happens to Moses. You see, Moses fronts up to Pharaoh and asks him to let them go. This is what what Yahweh, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. Now, you might notice that I've actually changed the word capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D into Yahweh because it's significant. This is the name that that God gave to Moses. And you see, Moses is not asking for very much, is he? He's just asking for a three-day public holiday so that he and Israel can go out into the wilderness and, you know, have a festival to God. It's just what God told him to say in chapter 3. It's not much, but Pharaoh will have none of it. Who is Yahweh that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know Yahweh and I will not let Israel go. Now I want you to notice this question that that, uh, Pharaoh asks because this is a pivotal question that sets the agenda for everything that follows in Exodus In fact, if you'd been listening carefully and reading carefully in Exodus, you'll have noticed that God's name, Yahweh, has been a key part of Exodus since he told Moses his name in chapter 3. 
And that's because in the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament, a name is important. A name represents a person and their character and it often carries weight and power. We see this, don't we, in, when, in, in our modern day when we talk about things like blackening the family name, bringing you know, disrepute upon it. Or when somebody says, just mention my name and that door that has been closed is magically opened for you. You see, God's name is the revelation of who he is. It's the revelation of himself. It represents his character and his reputation and he guards it jealously. So when Pharaoh responds, who is Yahweh? He's not saying to Moses, oh, Moses, I don't know this guy. Can you tell me a little bit about him? No. When Pharaoh says, who is Yahweh? He is making a statement of defiance. Who is Yahweh? I do not know him. I will not obey him. And it is with this question that the battle lines are drawn between Pharaoh and and Yahweh for Israel, the prize. God says, let my people go. Pharaoh says, no, I will not let Israel go. God's response to Pharaoh is uh, quite emphatic. Um, If we look a little bit ahead uh, in Exodus, Uh, to see uh, what God says to Moses in chapter 7, verse 5. He says this, And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. That is, God's answer to uh, Pharaoh is this, that when, by the time he has finished with Egypt, not just Pharaoh but all of Egypt will know who Yahweh is in all his power and his majesty. You see, Pharaoh's question really is the question of the ages, isn't it? Who is God that I should obey him? Isn't that the question people ask? And it's just as divisive now as it was then. You see, as people hear about Jesus... The question that they are ultimately grappling with is, who is Jesus that I should follow him? And the answer to that question is what divides God's people from the rest of the world. So who is Jesus to you? But it's not just Egypt that need to know who Yahweh is. God's people need to know him as well. You see, as we read a chapter like this, it's easy for us to read these passages from the point of history at which we are and to read into it what we know about God. After all, we have seen and benefited from where this story is heading and what God ultimately does in Jesus. But Moses and the Israelites have none of that. You see, it's been 400 years since Joseph and not only has Pharaoh and Egypt forgotten who God is, but so have the Israelites. God, it would seem, was just another one of those gods of the ancient myths of their forefathers. 
Look what happens when things go wrong. You see, Moses persists with Pharaoh and Pharaoh in his anger turns against them. And like the tyrant that he is, he persecutes Israel. You guys don't need a holiday, he says. You're just lazy, lazy. From now on, you must collect the own materials for your bricks. You've got to go out and get the straw and you've still got to make exactly the same bricks that you were making before. I'm making your life harder. And it's a clever strategy because what it's designed to do is to drive a wedge between Moses and Aaron and the rest of Israel. And what's more, it works. Look at how the Israelites react to Moses. May the Lord look on you and judge you. You have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Not a nice thing to say. Even Moses himself complains to God. Why have you brought trouble on this people? Why uh, Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble upon this people and you have not rescued your people at all. What does Yahweh, God's name, mean to Israel? Moses says, Your name means trouble. Israel has been too long in Egypt. And while Pharaoh does not see why he should obey Yahweh, Israel do not see that they can trust him. God has not met their expectations. He has not saved them and so they turn on him. So what do you do when things go wrong? You see, it's easy, isn't it, for us to thank God and to praise him when things go well? I mean, that's what the Israelites did at the end of chapter 3. After Moses and Aaron came to them and told them that God was going to set them free, why, they fell down and worshipped and praised God. But all that vanished when life got harder, not better, when God did not meet, did not do as they expected. So when things go wrong, When God does not do what you want, when you want, how you want, how do you respond to him? What do you do when God does not meet your expectations or or you don't understand what he is doing in your life? What do you do? Friends, you look to the cross and you see what he has done. See God working out his plans from an impossible situation. See him bring good out of evil. See his love and commitment as he hands his son over for you. See God's great promises fulfilled. You see, we know God unlike Moses and Israel. We know God. We have seen all that he has done for us. And if he can do that, then surely he is able to carry us through all the struggle and pain of our lives. But Moses doesn't have that, have the benefit of hindsight. He can't look back into history like we look into history because that history has not yet happened for them. All he has is a God who makes promises. 
And so God answers Moses' indictment with one of the most amazing statements of God's purpose and power. Opening verse of chapter 6 says, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. I am Yahweh. Watch Moses and see what I will do. I will so compel Pharaoh that he will drive you out of Egypt. He will want you to go. Now that you have seen your inability, see my ability. Now that you have seen that you have no power, see my power at work. Now that I have now that you have been brought to your knees, watch me use you to bring about my plans and purposes. For to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, I was a God of promise. But to you, Moses, I am a God of faithfulness and fulfilment. You see, God set up the showdown between him and Pharaoh. God created this impossible situation so that he can reveal to Pharaoh, to Moses, to Egypt and to Israel just who he is. It's not Moses' fine words or cool tricks that save Israel. It's not Pharaoh's kindness or goodness to Israel that saves them. It's not even Israel's faithfulness to God that compels God to save them. It is God and God alone. And so he says to Moses, go and tell Israel, I am Yahweh. I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am Yahweh, your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians and I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob and I will give it to you as a possession. I am Yahweh. This is one of the most emphatic statements of God's intent. Seven times he says, I will, and each time is a new promise of deliverance and blessing. I will bring you out from Egypt. I will free you from slavery. I will redeem you. I will take you as my people. I will be your God. I will bring you to the land. I will give it to you as a possession. I am Yahweh. If chapter 5 sets up a showdown between Pharaoh and God, then chapter 6 tells us the outcome and put simply, Yahweh wins. The rule of the most powerful king the world has ever seen will be broken because God will stretch out his arm and bring his people out. You see, the Exodus is a demonstration that God is powerful, that God is sovereign, that God reigns in his world and we can trust and tremble at his power. And Moses' role in this, well, it's to trust God and obey. God uses Moses to achieve his purposes 
God is a nobody compared to Pharaoh. His words and his actions achieve nothing. That's what we learned from chapter 5. But when God stretches out his right arm, everything changes. For God gives power to everything, Moses says, and does. And through this collaboration, God achieves all he wants. For this is what God meant when he said to Moses out of the burning bush, I will be with you. The Exodus was the defining moment of Israel's history. As we'll see over the coming weeks, God brings Israel out with great signs of power and might and he took them as his people. He gave them the land and established them as a nation just as he promised he would. It wasn't easy. They went through hard times, but God brought them through. But it would not last. Israel rebelled and sinned and ultimately found themselves one more, once more, a, a, a nation in bondage under the most brutal kingdom that had ever existed. And into these circumstances, Jesus is born. He lived and taught amongst his people, stirring up much passion and anger as he spoke of the coming kingdom. He was arrested, tried and sentenced to death on the cross. And as he hung there, dying, the Son of God, he says this, It is finished. I have done it. For the Exodus looked forward to the bigger thing that God will do and has done. Out of this impossible circumstance, God has redeemed us from our slavery to sin, adopted us as his children and promises us a future where there will be no more tears, no more crying, no more suffering. And just as he called Moses to go back to Egypt, so he calls us to go back into the world to make disciples. He gives us a gospel of weakness a commandment to love, and he sends us out like lambs amongst wolves. But we have his name, Jesus, the name above all names. And just like Moses, we have his promise, I will be with you. The power of our witness is not in our words. It's not in our actions. It's in the one who stands behind us and walks with us and achieves his purposes out of the most difficult and impossible situations that we find ourselves in. In 1958, Elizabeth returned to the Ecuadorian drain forest to live with the Waidani tribe, the people who had killed her husband just two years earlier. Her choice to forgive rather than retaliate um, sparked a change in them and they turned from their cycle of violence to embrace a life of love. In the years that followed, Elizabeth created a writing system for the Wadani language, advocated for their education 
and paved the way for a New Testament translation to be made, which was finished in 1992. She eventually returned to the United States, becoming an active and vocal advocate for the gospel, for missions, for family and for women. And their remarkable story rippled around the globe and inspired millions to serve God through mission and have touched millions of people's lives. For through what looked like an impossible situation, God brought life and hope to these lost tribes. God is the one who sets his people free, for he is Yahweh. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that we can come before you not trusting in our own righteousness, but in your manifold and great mercies. Father, we come before you as people who have been bought at a heavy price, the price of your son, and we thank you for that. You who promised so long ago brought all circumstances together so that through the impossible death of your son at the hands of evil men, you wrought life, forgiveness and the fulfilment of all your promises. Thank you. Heavenly Father, send us out, we pray, to go into the world with that word that brings life and hope into a helpless, dark place. In the impossible situations we face, Lord, we pray by your power, give our words wings. Turn our words and our actions, our love and our prayers into your words, your action, your love, and use us to bring many to your kingdom. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.